As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training, kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway, in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. What a way to kick off our growth interviews. On the show today, Andrew Chen. He works on growth at Uber, one of the fastest growing startups we've probably ever seen, as well as writing over a thousand articles on the topic of growth. Andrew lives and breathes growth, and we are we are really lucky to have him here and to learn from his insights. So stay tuned, and we'll get right into it. Welcome to Rocketship.fm podcast where we explore startups from funding to growth, from culture to sales and everything in between. I'm Michael Saka. I'm Mike Belsito. And I'm Joelle Goldman. Um, cool. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for, for joining us today. We're really excited to talk about growth with you. Yeah, very happy to be involved. I, one of the, the first things that I, I wanted to dig into was the early kind of growth 
landscape. And you wrote one of the articles that helped to introduce the term to a wider audience with growth as the new VP of marketing. Um, tell us a bit about what was happening at that time and, and what were you focused on? Yeah, so um, so at the time, I had just moved to the Bay Area. Um, I'm from Seattle originally, and uh, I was working at the venture capital firm More David Out Ventures. Um, and that was a really interesting experience because obviously you have all these folks coming in um, from consumer, B2B, life sciences, clean tech, et cetera. And, you know, what they want to talk about is how they uh, are going to change the world. Right. And you have to, you know, have that critical eye to sort of understand, you know, is, is this real or not? And so um, I spent most of my time, you know, working on on consumer at that point. And, you know, first and foremost, it was clear that, um, you know, there are a lot of folks, you know, building things, but uh, the, the whole metric side of the world, the whole, you know, sort of performance direct marketing side of the world and the folks building consumer products, you know, there was not a lot of overlap between the two. And so what that meant was, you know, you had folks coming in and instead of looking at, you know, their sign up funnels and conversion rates and cohort analyses um, and all that great stuff that is now, you know, super turnkey these days uh, through great tools like, um, you know, Mixpanel or Lean Plum on the mobile side. Instead, people were just pitching things like, oh, well, we have, you know, 100,000 you know, signups, right? <laughs> right? And that's sort of all, all there was. So it, it was just very early. This is around 2007, 2008 kind of, kind of time frame. And so I come from a ad tech background. And so, so I was one of, you know, I felt like one of the few folks in the community um, that sort of had put both the marketing side and, you know, and, and, I, and I was definitely stronger there and weaker on the consumer product side, you know, but I was kind of like in one space, uh, and then like looking into another and there are folks doing the reverse as well. Um, and, and so what happened was, uh, I ended up, you know, writing about this area and I quickly figured out that there was actually like a, a really small core community of folks that were pretty advanced in their thinking. So, you know, one of those guys was, um, Sean Ellis, uh, who was VP marketing, um, at a bunch of companies like Eventbrite and Dropbox, a bunch of Sequoia companies. And he was the guy who actually came up with the term growth hacker. Um, and he described that to me over brunch um, at one point. Some other folks that were really interesting were, um, you know, Eric Reese I'd met. Uh, and he eventually obviously wrote the Lean Startup and all that stuff. Um, but, you know, he was really early on thinking about like cohort analysis and like, you know, having a very data oriented, you know, A-B testing kind of oriented, uh, you know, worldview. Um, and so, so all that, you know, and, uh, sorry, and then one other group I want to, I don't want to leave out as well is there are a bunch of folks, um, you know, related to the, to the PayPal mafia and then ultimately all the Facebook developers that were building all these apps. And so I think a couple of these things came together. And so, you know, early on, as, as, as you were saying, you know, when I was writing my blog, there was this community, of, you know, really vibrant community of folks that were just starting to like really dig into this and, I myself was very early in my understanding as well. And do you think the, I mean, is growth kind of a natural evolution of the fact that companies now have as much data as we have? Yeah, I think growth is coming from a couple things, right? I think uh, one is definitely that, you know, the infrastructure is there, just like what you're saying, um, you know, where there's now all these great tools like Lean Plum and Mixpanel and so on and so forth that just make it super easy. And then you have products like, 
you know, um, Looker or Vertica or, you know, there's all these things that like help you deal with the fact that there's more and more data. So that's definitely one part of it. The other thing I would say, though, is that it also comes from the natural kind of evolution of marketing from being this, you know, sort of Mad Men style, very qualitative, like kind of branding consumer packaged goods kind of, you know, view of the world, which was dominant in the late 90s. And, you know, that's why the first time we all tried to build websites, right, it was sort of like, um, you know, everyone was buying Super Bowl ads. And that was sort of their main their main strategy <laughs> right. is crazy, right? Um, you know, these days it's like, well, you know, people just expect you to just have great word of mouth, great, you know, kind of initial content marketing. You use channels like Product Hunt, et cetera. And then eventually you figure out how to scale using virality or user-generated content combined with SEO or, you you know, you do paid marketing. And I think what, what that has meant is that you've seen this transition from, um, you know, sort of marketing being viewed as sort of this very qualitative thing to being, you know, growth kind of being more product centric and being extremely accountable, um, you know, for, uh, you know, like, yeah, just being extremely accountable, extremely ROI oriented. Yeah. Do you, has the marketing team shifted or is, are these teams inside completely separate now at a larger company? Yeah, it's it's a really interesting question. I mean, I think when I wrote when I wrote Growth Hackers and New VP of Marketing, I think the the interesting thing at that point was you that was sort of alluded to the idea that you know Sean Ellis had mentioned to me at the very beginning, which is that it was really hard to convince startups to hire a VP of marketing, but it was relatively easy for them to hire somebody to work on growth, right? Like that they kind of like understood. And and I think you know what that means is um, you know, over time for some companies, you know, uh, growth and marketing are, you know, kind of separate. Like I think the most common case these days, um, which is what, uh, you know, happens at, at Dropbox and what, um, how Uber was, was, you know, um, well, Uber's had a bunch of, uh, org changes recently, but, um, but the way that like growth was set up originally is that, um, you know, you sort of have this growth team, and then you had marketing reporting into it, or it could be like a separate team entirely, um, you know, but like Dropbox, Twitter, Pinterest, you know, a bunch of these folks, they have this idea of growth and marketing being separate. Um, and, and where growth is really a, you know, it's not really about, I mean, and this is kind of about the evolution of where growth has gone. But these days, you know, it's not like you have these individual growth folks who kind of sit in their own silo and just make things like, you know, grow really quickly. They're actually really cross-functional teams of engineers, data scientists, product managers, designers, user researchers, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and those teams, they happen to have their North Star guided towards, um, you know, growth uh, metrics rather than potentially like, you know, user experience, um, you know, goals. So tell so me. That's like a, just, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, Absolutely. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices. Construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com. That's business 
www.att.com. Um, I what what I was I wanted to to kind of transition into some of the work that you're doing with Uber. Um, how, how are you focused at at Uber, and what is that north star of growth for you? Yeah. So. Um, so I'll, I'll say what I can say about, you know, Uber, obviously, it's since it's a private company, there isn't like that much out there. But, uh, you know, so, so my day to day role at Uber, um, so I run the rider acquisition programs at Uber. So that's sort of trying to get new riders to come and, and, and try out and sign up and, and, and actually use the product. Right. And so um, and so this team's broken up into a bunch of different functions, but it's everything from top of funnel efforts. Uh, like our referrals program and sort of our viral growth, uh, uh, you know, initiatives there into, um, you know, sort of how the app, app actually looks in the app store and sort of optimizing that, you know, part of it. That's sort of the landing page for the app into the sign-up flow, um, you know, the onboarding flow and first-time education and kind of getting you all the way out to the end, you know, of that to, to actually get, ha- be in a car, have your payment ready, have the app installed, you're signed up, you're like, you know, actually taking a trip. And so what we find is that, um, you know, that that whole effort is called uh, rider acquisition at Uber. Um, and then we work with a bunch of other teams. So there's, you know, there's an overall rider team that works on the rider app. Uh, there's a, um, you know, there's a whole bunch of marketing that goes on across the company. Um, and so, and then obviously, the core reason why the the app has been Uber has been so successful is just that it's just solves a real, you know, real thing for people. And so, you know, I'm, I'm lucky to work on this because, um, you know, it's such a great, it's just such a great product. It naturally, you know, grows on its own. And then my job is to figure out how to, how to, how to get, bring that to the next level. Sure. Yeah. Can you talk a bit about how, Maybe some of your your focus or the strategy has evolved um, over the years because obviously we can't just keep doing the same thing. Um, oftentimes we hear about different channels having different impacts. That's right. Yeah, and I think that that's you know kind of very broadly speaking. I think the idea is there is that um, you know you get started and then you might use things like you know newsletters and post your thing to product hunt and like you know, um, uh, go onto Reddit and try to spread it on Reddit, you know, and, and those work up to some point and then you hit a ceiling and then you have to go to the next biggest thing. Right. And the next biggest thing might be, you know, partnerships. It might be, um, you know, buying certain kinds of, you know, paid ads. And then you do that for a while until you hit a ceiling and then you just keep going and going and going until one day you're doing like TV and you're doing like (laughs) the big stuff. Right. (laughs) And so I think, you know, and, and I think that that's general, that's generally been true for all products um, and Uber's no exception. So in the early days, a lot of what was super incredibly important were things like, you know, Uber kittens and Uber ice cream and a lot of the efforts of the ops team, um, which, you know, they really innovated and they're continuing to innovate today on those approaches. And then what ends up happening is that that works really well. And then we layer on kind of the next set of things um, and then the next set of things and the next set of things. So, you know, these days I'm mostly working on things within the product. So I'm, I'm mostly working on, you know, our referral program, right? Because virality is something that can spread kind of, you know, kind of infinitely, right? And um, I'm also working quite a bit on, 
um, you know, how do we make our, you know, paid advertising more efficient? And you can do that a bunch of different ways, right? So, and, and that has a very high ceiling, of course. Um, so that's kind of the world that I'm in, in these days as we've layered more and more channels on top of each other. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor. Now, back to the show. Nice, yeah. Um, I, being around the growth community for so long, is there a a particular story or that that kind of sits with you um, from you know a growth experiment that that someone has run? Uh, one of my favorite ones. There, there's a um, you know, so there's a friend of mine, Casey Winters, was at Pinterest for many years. And one of the things he's talked about, which I think is, you know, really shows you how great the team is over there, is that, um, you know, early Pinterest, if you remember, was kind of this interesting, like, invite-only, you know, kind of pin board kind of thing. Like, And it mostly spread because, like, people would, would invite each other. And then there was this whole, you know, Facebook, like, open graph thing. So when people were pinning things, it would, like, go on to Facebook. You know, and there was this whole... I think, you know, that was super interesting because they got to a point where um, Facebook was, uh, you know, starting to become, you know, sort of saturated and no longer as great of a channel. And I think, you know, one of the most remarkable things that they did was they figured out how to go from that into being this very SEO oriented, uh, you know, growth strategy instead, where they took all the user generated content and they pivoted their growth strategy into then you know, making it so that if you were to type in something like, you know, ultra modern, like lounge chairs, that then Pinterest pages would show up. Um, and so I, I think that's like super interesting, because, you know, you sort of start out in one direction, you end up in another direction. As far as a growth strategy goes, it's not just layering on new strategies, they had to really fundamentally innovate. Um, so I think that's a really, I think that's a really cool example. You know, I, I know some of the folks that had started um, drop cam. Um, and I think that is a great story as well, because, you know, early on, they actually thought of themselves as purely like a software play. They were kind of built, they were going to build like kind of IP, like internet connected cameras, and sort of connect into in, into the cloud. Um, and at one point, they realized that they had to actually make the hardware. And these are folks that had never made hardware before. Um, and so the interesting thing there is, you know, Early, early on in those days, like, how do you, like, there was, there were no data points on how do you actually make hardware successful, like, from a growth standpoint. You just build, like, a website, and you just, like, buy ads. Like, right, right, right. Like, nobody does. <laughs> and so I think that's, I think that was a really great one because, you know, they started out thinking that they just build a website and they just get people to buy it off the website. Mm -hmm. And they quickly found that that's actually not what people want. <laughs> they actually, <laughs> you know are already buying these cameras off of places like Amazon and eBay and so on and so forth. And so one of the early things they did to just get, get going was to create these like third-party seller accounts on Amazon and start listing Dropcam there. Um, and, uh, and so my, my friend Amir Varani, um, you know, would build these pages so that if you typed in like kind of, you know, security, you know, video, you would see a bunch of like junk. And then you'd see this like really super sleek drop cam thing. And, you know, people would just like start buying from there. And again, this is before anyone knew that like, oh, yeah, you're supposed to do all this stuff on Kickstarter and, you're, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so they got started that way. And then eventually they worked their way into the Best Buys 
and you know targets and things like that. But I think I, I love that as a as an example because it shows how much hustle you need when you're building a new type of product and you have to find a new channel that didn't exist before. So I, I, I consider that also a, a tremendous success. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and I'm curious when we look at, at growth, right? We often hear like the Paul Graham, the 5% week over week or 10% week over week for very aggressive companies in the long run. Um, do you have any, any kind of base metrics that, that you're, you're, I guess, measuring uh, success at? Because uh, obviously companies can't keep growing 10% week over week um, after several years. That's right. Yeah. So I, so there's a couple parts here. I think that the 5% week over week metric is, it's a good rule of thumb, but you have to think about what it's really saying, right? Okay. It's sort of saying retention and acquisition are the same thing, for example. Right. Um, because you could get 5% week over week just by signing up more and more people. Um, right. And you may not be retaining them at all. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, you know, I think that's an interesting problem. I think another problem is, um, you know, uh, when you when you think of it that way, as you're saying, you quickly reach, uh, you know, sort of very high scale, you know, kind of problems and you start hitting saturation and so on where that's not like realistic. Um, so, so, so I would say a couple things, you know, around like how to evaluate the long-term health of a product. I think, you know, first and foremost, you have to look at on a cohort basis, um, if you draw this like churn curve, so, you know, day, day zero, I mean, well, you know, day zero is the day that, you know, someone downloads your app and on that day, um, obviously they're active that day, day, day one, then, you know, the next day then usually there's a huge, huge drop off because people just, they just don't, don't want to use it. And then day two, day three, day four, you know, it starts to like settle in and sort of asymptotically like levels out. And so I think there's, there's two really interesting things here. So one is that does it ever level out is a great question, right? Um, and that's, and, and when it does level out, well, your DAUs divided by the cohort, is that a big enough percentage to make this like an interesting company? Right. So this is more like on the consumer side of things, because if you imagine that, um, obviously, if it never settles in, like the 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 churn rate just keeps going down, 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 and then eventually you lose everybody. So obviously, that's that's no good. The second part, though, is if it settles down, but then you're talking about 0.5 percent of the people who sign up are still around, then, you know, it's going to be hard for this to be a big business, because even if you in a world where you can, you know, acquire 10,000 new users a day, right? Like pretty, pretty, pretty solid numbers. Then very quickly you'll figure out that like, you're not keeping enough of them around. So, so I think, I think one thing is, you know, Hey, can you like, you know, especially if you're a consumer business, can you keep your DAUs over, you know, reg in the high single digits, 10%, you know, kind of number that would be pretty amazing. You know, the world-class products like WhatsApp and Facebook, you know, they're, DAU MAU is, um, you know, 50, 60, 65%, which is amazing. And then their MAU over registered is like, you know, 25 to 50%. So you can get a sense for, you know, that you need, you need like very big numbers, but if you can hit that, then you can start to see something super interesting. Uh, then you can build a world-class company. So I think that's one part. Then the second part is on the acquisition side, can you scale your acquisition in a way that is actually sustainable, right? So 
for example, if you're growing 5% week over week, but you know, you're, you're doing that because you're, for example, um, opening up, uh, you know, uh, let's say you're, it's because you're, you're spamming, you know, Reddit a lot, right? So in the early days, that'll work great, but you'll quickly like, um, you know, stop sustaining. And then the question is like, you figure out the next channel. And it turns out that that is a really, really hard problem. And that's why a lot of small products stay small is because they can figure out how to get, you know, a couple hundred customers, you know, per week, but they're not able to, you know, kind of go above and beyond that, regardless of how great the early, the early days look like. Right. No, that's a good point. I think a lot of people do get stuck, um, moving past product hunt and, and Reddit. So well, and um, thank you so much for for coming on and sharing this with us. Where can we keep up with you and the and the work you're doing? Yeah, um, so uh, I've written now. I think it's almost a thousand essays. On wow. Book, okay. Um, which is awesome. Yeah, over over on my blog. So that's andrewchen.co, um, and uh, and then what I'm much more active on. So so these days I've been trying to. Uh, I need to get back into writing more, but Uber's just been. Uh, kept me incredibly busy. Um, so the other place, obviously, is uh, is Twitter. So I'm I'm super active on Twitter. I tweet a lot of articles that I've been reading, um, and so that's just Andrew Chen uh, as my username. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Awesome. Okay. Thank you. A big thanks to our sponsor today, Prezi Business. Prezi Business makes your presentations better more engaging, interactive, and they have a platform that features built-in analytics, cloud-based collaboration tools, and the unique ability to adapt to the flow of the conversation, which is so important whether you're doing sales or a investor presentation. So go to prezi.com forward slash rocket ship and get your presentation prezified today. We are going to continue with the first full episode of this growth series tomorrow, actually, Monday morning. That will be on your player if you subscribe. So if you haven't yet, subscribe if you can. Leave us a quick review. Helps to spread the show. If you want to keep up with us, go to rocketship.fm. You can follow us on Twitter, rocketshipfm. You can follow Joel at Joel Goldman, Mike Belsito at Belsito, and myself at Michael Saka. All right, we'll see you back here very soon.